When you're serious about stuff. Hey, I got a chance as a student. I got involved. I got saved my sophomore year. And I went, and I went to an LT that first summer. Went down to Myrtle Beach, and it was awesome. Because I'd never seen community that close when you just live with people like that. It, it, it just changed my life. It was foundational. Everything then that happens, you start to see God in it. I had this, this Corsica, this, this 1989 Corsica. It was a piece of junk, all right? Uh, but it had a V6 in it. So it was nice, you know, but it was just, just cruddy because I never fixed anything in it. At one point, it wouldn't start, and I had this guy who had to come fix it. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll tell you that story later. All right, so uh, the way I would start this car, though, now, would I would crawl underneath the car with a, with a screwdriver, and I would have to connect the two terminals to the starter, and I would have to make it run. It was the only way to make it start. So that's how I was driving this car. Where I would have to crawl under my car first to start it and then get back in. By the time I had to go to LT, uh, leave LT, also it was just a pain in the butt because then the idle stopped working. It would not idle. So now it was a two-man operation because if you were under the car and you started it, you, you could get it to start, but then as soon as it would start, then it would want an idle. So you had somebody else in the driver's seat giving it gas and another person underneath with a screwdriver sparking this thing right in front of your face. All right? And so this was my caravan home, and we were ready to go back and take our campus by storm. And so we are coming back to Michigan. We had our church van, which wasn't like your, your van is like nice. Like it has windows and is white. Like ours had no windows and you open it up. It was just, it was like prison. It was like a prison van. It just had benches on the side and they at least took the chains off of the floor that they used to have for whatever slaves they were carting around. And that was our church van. So our caravan was this church van and this car and then this guy from, uh, from Pennsylvania who was coming back. Well, his car, his battery had an issue and it would only last about an hour before he would have to get jumped. And so we would drive around. So our best vehicle was a prison van, all right? That was our best vehicle. So we're driving back, but we're all full of faith, and we're coming back to campus, and we had seen God change our lives. And every hour, we'd have to pull aside. Whenever his car would die, he would put her off to the side, and then the van would kind of go back there and have to back up and get these long old jumper cables and jump him. And then I'd have to go, go hit the side and put it in neutral and just go, because I couldn't idle. So I'm just sitting there and just, we would go up to like the toll booths, you know, and use, that's what I did every time I went to a toll booth. i just roll on up and put in you know, I just look like a jerk. You know, every time I'm in there, just revving this engine is just so it wouldn't stall. If I forgot to do that, then I'd have to push it to the side and then go get two man operation on the side of the road, crawl in there and do this. So it was, it became a nightmare because the guy with a bad battery was like every hour, and then every 45 minutes, and then every half hour. Finally, we just left him. We said, good luck. We found him a hotel. We said, your car is the worst. And that's, that's coming from me. <laughs> and so we left him. I go, finally. Because this trip was taking forever. And so I hadn't slept. We, the, the whole trip should take 17 hours. At this point, we, the whole trip, we are like halfway. We're barely in no, we just got to Ohio and we've been on the road for 27 hours. Straight. All right. Uh, the guy I had driving with me had Coke bottle glasses and could not even legally drive. But I was like, at some point I was like, you have, you know, you have to you have to drive for me. He's like, okay. And so I'm like, I'm like I don't care. I'm going to die if I drive. I'll die if you drive. I'm going to heaven anyway. And so he's driving, 
And we hit this like kind of this like traffic jam, and he and he slows down and forgets to put it in neutral, and we sputter. So then I have to pull over and do this whole thing. I'm, he's like, "Oh, I'm like, I'll just drive. I'll just drive." I'm so glad that that happened because, like, ten minutes later, we're driving down the road, and we're in these the foot the foothills hills of Ohio, going around this bend, and then, boom! I can't see anything. All I remember is seeing that I was going around this corner and there was like a cliff and boom. And what had happened, my, sh- my, my hood had flown up and it caught, and it caught the wind at 80 miles an hour, slams into the windshield, glasses over both of us. It bent in the top of the hood and I was like, oh, and all I could think of is, we're, I don't know where the road is and there's a cliff. Luck, fortunately, my window was down. I put my head out just in time to see the yellow line disappear from underneath of my car. And so I'm just, I just kind of crank back and I'm watching the yellow line. And Danny Mac, this guy, he's a freaker out. He's just screaming. He is just screaming. He's just going, ah! and he's like, there's glass everywhere. Let's go. And he is just lose, absolutely losing it. And I'm screaming back at him. I'm like, Dan, I can't take my eyes off. You've got to tell me when I can go over. All right. I am going to jack this when you say now all the way. And when I see the white line, that's when I'm stopping. You know, that's going to go across two lanes of traffic. I'm like, do you understand? He's like, okay. I'm like, no, okay is the word. Don't say okay now. When did you say okay? I'm jacking it. He's like, oh, oh, oh. So I'm like, he goes, Okay, and I don't even know if he understood it. I jacked the car to the right. The white line appeared. We slam on the gas. I'm like, get out. It's probably going to blow up. And we jump out of the car. We run away. We get about, we get about 30 yards from the car. I'm like, my wallet. I run on back. I grab my wallet. I come on back. I'm sitting here. I was like, okay. And I'm like, Dan, did you notice something when we went back in the guy's wallet? And he's like, no. I'm like, the idol's working. <laughs> And it totally had fixed the idol on, on my vehicle. It was, it was absolutely, it was absolutely amazing. And you know the, one of the best parts about that whole experience? We were playing, I drove the rest of the way back. We just, again, no money. You know what I did? Got scotch tape and just taped up my windshield. Found the two biggest, there was like a part in the middle where there was like two pieces that I could kind of see through. And it was all at night. So I just told the prison van, you just make, I'm just staying right on your bumper the entire rest of the way. That's all I want to see is your brake lights. And I just drove like leaning in here looking through two kind of pieces of big pieces of glass the rest of the way. But the best part was we knew that all this was happening because the enemy was against us. We knew that, that there was a real enemy that was throwing every little thing that he could to discourage us and to keep us from home. And little things like that that would have kept you down. I'm like, <laughs> like I was worried to tell my dad on the way down I'd backed into a pole and had like a golf ball-sized hole like in the back of the truck. I'm like, hey, Dad, I got two things I got to tell you. One, backed into a pole on the way down. <laughs> two, you're not going to believe. <laughs> you're not going to believe what happened on the way back up. <laughs> but... What it was great is when you, catch, when you catch the mission, when you catch the mission, you catch the reality, everything will change. You'll start to see the mission. Dee Mac and I, we were like, yes, we are we both so full of faith because everything that happens, even if it's a trial, it's because you are important. You're needed. And the enemy wants to take you out of the game. If he can pick off a few of you, he's winning. But if as you're shooting at you, you see and you know, we're winning. We're winning. So we got two more ponies. I have a lot of people who have been just like giving me true confessions 
along the way here. They've been giving me true confessions that they are excited to learn about the ponies and know what we're doing. So here we got our first, the last two ponies. The first one is Applejack, and she is dependable. So here's Applejack. All right, so there you go. That's Applejack. She's dependable. That's the one. They're all about, they're about family. They love, when they see people close to them, they want that family field. But you also can catch part of her, her ethic is she, she works hard. The dependable personality, they, they work hard. They're, they, they're very responsible. When they go through life, they want it to be very steady. Steady, but they just keep going. They're a hard worker. And they, they like those systems. They like organization. They like efficiency. And they're very honest. When you deal with these dependable people, what you see is what you get. They're just right up front, and they're, just, they're, not, they're a no-nonsense type of people. So who in Cornerstone, who's, who's kind of like this? Who feels like they might be like this? All right? That's got Karen. All right. And so, yeah. And MC, MC's finally found her pony. She's been worried. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, there we go. We found her pony. Oh, I feel satisfied. There we go. When they, see a, when they see a community, they see it as a place for family and purpose. They gather people close together, but then that gives them, that gives them reason. It's the family around them and what they need to do and work hard. I think about my wife and I are just really actually good examples in one way of these two ends of the spectrum. My wife and how her family approached Saturday morning as it captures this. Saturday morning was getting up and as a family, what are we going to do? What do we need to do as a family? It's like family chores and here's our projects and we're going to be together as a family. Some families were like that. You have those where Saturday mornings are about chores and let's get things done and here's our projects and we're going to come together as a family. Or as a family, this is what we need to do. We got to help this person get to soccer practice. Or this. And it was a lot about working together, coming together as a family. That's very much what the Applejack, that dependable side of the spectrum is like. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have... The last pony, all right, the last one, and she is energetic, and her name is Pinkie Pie. All right, so Pinkie Pie's a little over the top, right? All right, energetic, she's all about friends, all right? Whereas the Applejack side, right, they like to work hard. Pinkie Pie, the energetic, you play hard. You know how to play hard. You're super encouraging, and your pace through life can tend to be fast and you're attracted to ideas you're attracted to fun you're attracted to high spirits if there's any ideal that you just love to bring people together around it's laughter and it's being able to have fun so all right so who here has finally discovered their their pony who is like this any any of us we elena you know maybe not as over the top yes all right so yes when we when you have the 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 these, this personality, the energetic part one, they see a virtuous community and they see it as a place to bring friends together and to bring excitement. That when you gather people together for excitement, that's what it's all about. And in, in contrast to how it was like for my wife, for me, like growing up, our Saturdays were about this. It was about fun. It was like for us, if we could fill our Saturdays with what are we going to do? An activity. Like the ideal thing would be to go to an amusement park and you get there an hour before, so you're the first in line, you stay, you know, right to the very end. You pack it all out and it's just packing out the day and it's excitement and fun and looking for that next party. And yes, we'll go to soccer games, but man, what can we do to make this thing exciting for everybody? And yes, we'll do chores, but it's like, let's whistle while we work. You know, and the whole thing was about having fun along the way. And you bring in that energy. But just like all our other ones, these both come with certain sets of threats. The first threat we can look at is this idea of legalism and burnout. 
when you kind of embrace the idea of working hard and being able to give yourself to a mission, the threat that can come with that is legalism and burnout. You can work too hard. You can work too long. You can work too much. You will just give yourself to the work. You're attracted to it. and You actually gain energy from it. But at some point, it gets to be even too much for you. And you can burn out and fizzle. Or it's all then about the work. And it's all about the rules and about how to do things. I actually moved to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's got all these little neighborhoods. And the neighborhood I'm in, I love it because it's between two parks. I can bike to, my, to campus. It's a great place. we got this awesome downtown. I can walk to a movie theater and a coffee shop and a grocery store. And it's just blocks away. And it's just like amazing. And one of the things that's neat about what our neighborhood is known for is we have a high population of Jews. Jews. There are three Jewish synagogues in our neighborhood. And so we're befriending all these Jewish families. And some of them are like Orthodox and the conservative Jews, and they are, they have all the laws. The ones you read about in the Pharisees, they have these laws. We're, my wife was walking on her Saturday morning on her walk, and it was, it, it was in a, like right about now where it, was, it had a uh, I think it was the, it was the fall or spring where the weather was kind of changing. And so the night before, it, the day before, it had been pretty warm. And she's walking Saturday morning, and this woman comes to the door, and she's like, oh, excuse me, are you Jew- Jewish? Are you celebrating the Shabbat today? And she's like, no. She's like, oh, good, good, good. Maybe you could help me. Can you come here and help me? She's like, yeah, yeah, what do you need? She's like, it's my baby in the house. She's like, oh, my gosh, your baby. What do you need help with? She's like, well, you know, it had gotten really cold here yesterday, or really warm yesterday, and so we turned off the heat, and now it's, it got cold overnight, and I woke up, and I'm really concerned about my infant that's too cold in the house for you. I need some help with the furnace to get the heat on. She's like, ah, I don't know. You know, my wife's like, I don't know anything about a furnace or fixing it. She's like, no, 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 come in. She opens the door and has her come in. She's like, you see this thermostat? She's like, yeah, we, we just hit that button. And she's like, and so she hits, the, oh, she hits the button. Oh, thank you. That was so amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, that was such a concern. You see, that was work. That was work. The law said you couldn't work on the, on the Sabbath. And so she couldn't hit this button to turn the heat on. And it's an example of laws. She was befriending another lady who's converted to Judaism there, and she was like, oh, it's Friday, and you're ready for the Shabbat. i got to go cook all these meals. we got to turn on all the lights in the living areas. we got to turn all the lights off in the bedroom because you can't turn the light on or off on the Sabbath. And then one of her jobs that she had to do is she had to go around to all the different ba- the, the bathrooms, and she would pull off toilet paper rolls in the little squares and stack them on the back because you're not allowed on the, on the Sabbath to pull off toilet off of the toilet, toilet paper off the roll. You're allowed apparently to wipe, which seems like a lot more work to me. <laughs> At least for me, it's a lot more work. But apparently you can do that work, but you couldn't pull it off. That's the easy part. I just go, <sighs> yeah, and you go. But legalism, we have to beware of that when you start looking at this aspect of all these things. And what's the other end, the other side of the threat? The other side of the threat is the opposite, is with liberalism and a fade-out. Liberalism and a fade-out, when you're all about the excitement and the energy and laughter, and we're all going to come together and we're going to enjoy ourselves. And then you hear about how in Christ you even have this freedom. Oh, he has freed me, and there's forgiveness, and it comes at no cost at all, and it's great, and you start embracing things. There's elements in our life we need to embrace freedom, but then we can go too far, and we can just, ah, forget some of the rules. We forget that the claim that they saw was he's the holy one of Israel, and we can indulge too much in our liberties, and we forget the holiness of God, Yes, there's no right way to be with God. And so you can go, yes, I'm going to Disneyland. This is awesome. Uh, Every time from now on. But then you forget to pray. And you never are in your word. 
and you're never getting counsel. And you're thinking, I have the freedom to skip church and sleep in. That's great. And you forget that we still have, we have a necessity for work. Or it's just you get caught up in it and you fade. Whereas one side burns out because they go so hard. The other ones, you just fade. And before you know it, you look back and you say, I intended when I was in college to give my life to this Great Commission thing. Whatever happened? Whatever happened to me? And so we're just going to look at one last passage of the story of Jesus. All right, Matthew 11 is where we're going to camp out. We're going to see some of these elements. Now it says, Now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? All right, what's going on here? John the Baptist had come. This is the one to make way for Jesus. He had anointed Jesus. He had baptized Jesus. He said, this is the guy. He told his disciples who had been following after him of a message of repentance, go after him. He's going to become greater. I'll become less. And then he was thrown in prison. And those trials hit. The hood flew up. Glass is covering him. He's thinking he might go over the edge. And he needs to know, did I give my life to the right thing? Is this the guy? Or did I make a mistake? Then I make a mistake. And Jesus answered them, the disciples. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And Jesus knew that those were the words that John needed to know. John would have recognized all these phrases in here of the prophecies, of the Messiah, of who was to come and the work that he was to do. And he would have had great confidence that yes, he gave his life for this. He worked tirelessly, a hardcore, radical life to make way for Jesus. Jesus was the one, and he gave him great assurance. It says, and as they went away, John's disciples, Jesus began to speak again to the crowds, because that is his heart, concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You didn't go out to see some guy who was a weak person. You heard of this guy and how radical he was. You knew he wasn't going to have just some wind blow over him and like a little reed, he'd snap. You heard this guy was hardcore. That's what you came. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. John wasn't about comfort. He wasn't about what he was going to get in following after Jesus. He knew that he was on a mission. Soft clothing, that's for the people who just want palaces to be waited upon. And their life is all about here and now and what they could get. That's not why you go out to the desert to look for John the Baptist. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. He gives to the crowds. He says, yes, just like I told John the prophecies that I am fulfilling. He has come to fulfill these. He is the Elijah figure. He is the one who is coming to prepare the way. 
Then he says to him, Truly I say among you, to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine if Jesus said that of you? You know, there is no one greater of anyone born than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So that would be all of us. We have Jesus as our Savior. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, he comes to the crowd and he says, Look, John, John was the man. And he was making ready for me. He was the greatest person yet to be born. But any of you who would listen to my words and jump in on this kingdom... Even if you're the least in the kingdom of heaven, you are greater than the greatest prophet who had the best role ever given. Why? Because he was starting something far, far better. better. The church. The kingdom of heaven. Where Jesus is the king. And there's the fulfillment of it. And it has happened. Oh, it's amazing. It was the community they were all longing for. And then he goes and he says, but what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling through their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. I love this because I see and hear Jesus' compelling invitation. He's saying, what is this generation like? And it's like, there were little kids. It's like the Pinkie Pie. That's why I just pictured She's like a kid. right? It's like yeah, I was given and trusted to little children, and they went out into the marketplaces. They went out onto the quad. And when I went out on the quad and we played a flute, and we had this music, and we brought the energy, you, you didn't dance. And when we came, and we worked hard, and we went like a dirge, and we came with somber, sobering news, news that you needed to hear, you still, you still didn't mourn. What's the matter if I play hard or I work hard? This generation isn't responding to this invitation. And then, he, then he compares the two of them. And he says, look, for John came neither eating nor drinking, excuse me, nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. He compares the two. John, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, he was radical. He played by the rules, he was repentant, he was the dependable one. He was this radical, and they say, ah, he must have a demon. He's taking this too extreme, he's too radical. But then when Jesus came, what did they accuse him of being? A glutton and a drunkard. He ate. He drank. This guy partied. Do you guys see Jesus like that? Do you see Jesus eating and drinking and having a party? He partied. And they said, oh man, he's a drunk. But they gave themselves to the mission. They gave themselves to the mission. Jesus says, and then he said, he said this, at that time he declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He gave it to the least. He gave this mission. He said, this is your will, that even the least of us would catch this. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may have seen that verse before. If you've ever gone into like any grandmother's house or who is involved in the church, she has a precious moment somewhere that's got like Jesus with a lamb and it's got that down there, okay? Or you go and it's gathering dust and it's some knick-knack paddywhack plaque in you know, some little Christian bookstore. It's all over the place. But I think there's part of this that we kind of miss an element of it. And then you have to look at this verse. This is our, this is our verse for the, today. This is what I want to send you out with. Jesus says, look, all things have been handed over to me. All things. All things. I got keys to the house and the car. And I, I, got, I, know, I know the chore schedule. I know the jobs we need to do. All things. I am in charge. I'm in charge of the wait staff. I, all the mission, all the work that means done, it's mine. It's been given to me. But you know what it also means? I also have access to the pool and to the, in the pool hall and to the liquor cabinet. All right? I have access to all things. They've all been given to me. And they're mine. I am in charge. No one sees the Father unless Jesus says, I'm revealing it. And he says all things, both elements of this. And then he comes and there's the part. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Maybe you've seen them. Oftentimes, that first one is, is there's a different word. It's not all who labor. It's all who are weary, which it can mean that has that meaning from it because you labor, you get tired. But the Greek word comes from labor, that your weariness comes from working hard. And you see that idea that we give yourself to the work and then you get tired and you have a heavy burden that you've taken on. Yes, it can be burdens from the past, but also he, what is the invitation? He says, come to me and take on my yoke. Will you saddle up with me the yoke had two oxen, and they would go together so they could have a straight line and work in tandem together. He doesn't say, come to me and just sit around. He says, come to me, take on my yoke. Will you work with me? I want you on the work. When he says, I will give you rest, my, my daughter Karis would be impressed. It's a farming term. Maybe you guys know this. It's Farmington. The word rest that was given there is there was a rotation of the crops that every once in a while there, you'd have a season where a field would be planted a little, light, a little more lightly so it could regenerate so that the next season you could plant it again heavy and it would have a booming crop. But it wasn't about sitting around and doing nothing. It was just giving yourself a little rest. And so the invitation I want to give to you guys is that what Jesus gives to us here. This is what he gives to us. He gives you a cause to labor for. He gives you a cause to labor for. He's inviting you into this. Yes. But he's inviting you into a great cause. He wants you to be radical. Be radical. Like John was accused of something, like Jesus was accused of something, I want to be accused of something for him. That's the cause I want to give. 
I want that high invitation to be mine. I want to do his work. Do you see that there's a cause out there? And yet at the same time, not only does he give you this cause, at the very same time then he says, and then I will give you rest. He wants to give rest to the laborers. That's who this rest is the best for. I will tell you from experience, I've worked hard at a lot of different things. Well, a few things. Maybe a couple things I've, I've worked hard at. All right, I've had a couple things in my life that I've worked hard at. And when they are of the things of the world, they're tiring. They were tiring for me. When I just got my mind and my energy and my gifts and I focus them on the things of the world and I get lost in all that, I get tired. And I hear a verse and I'm like, yes, I want to come and I want to be bright and I want to be done. You guys hear that? You feel that? You've had to. But when I've worked hard for a cause that I can believe in, a cause that is godly, one that can change the world, that can change the lives of people, where I can come alive because I'm influencing people, things that matter, God's truth, people and their eternity and their decisions, at the end of those times, I am tired and I am alive. I am alive. There is no rest that can ever compare when you've poured yourself out for him. That is the best rest in the world. So you want to embrace community? You want to learn how to do, how to, how to do this? Here's, here's the first thing with it. Work hard to be part of community. Put in the effort. It's going to take some work. You're going to have to look at your schedule. You're going to have to figure out, all right, how can I be at Rise from 9 to 11 at night on a Wednesday when I have a packed day on Thursday? You're going to have to work hard starting on Sunday. Do it. Because that's important. Work hard. See the value of the cause that you've been called to. Get in there and do it. Make your schedule serve you. You have to create. Use all that you've been given. You take what you've been given and then create. Like the bronies. I've been playing all this brony music. What are they doing? They're, they're taking their artistic form. They're throwing the music. They're creating art. They're making crazy costumes. They're pulling on conventions for a, a kid's show. That's a great cause for a little while for these few people. But then what? Yours is going to last forever. So work hard. Make stuff happen. You're part of a dialogue? Commit to it. Go. Make it no questions asked. It's not about, I got homework this weekend. Go. Just be faithful. People there need you. They need you. They need you to listen. They need you to talk. They need your energy. They need your dependability. Every one of these aspects that we have of these, they need every pony out there. Every pony. Do his work. Here, find those things that can get you to do and then play hard. Play hard as a community. Hang out. Be together. Don't make it just like all these meetings. I love corners are about people coming together. I love the corners when you guys do hangouts. You know, and they don't see this. Oh, this is a mandatory hangout. I have to go on a Friday night and I have to go to a game board game night. Oh my gosh. You know, no, it's not what it's all about. It's not mandatory fun. Those things don't work together, okay? Go and have fun. I don't care if you don't really like people. All right, you don't have to like people. Right? Can you like one person? Kind of. And start there. All right? That's what you need to do. Just go and play hard. Give yourself to it. Let those of you who have the energy 
Bring it. If this is you, if you're the pinky pies, you guys should be going to your corner leaders and say, I have an idea, and this is what we can do. And I know it's not on a Friday, but we're going to do this on a Saturday morning and on a Sunday night. And I saw this thing on a Tuesday. Make it happen. Make it happen. These are your communities. These are your friends. You don't have to wait around. You don't have to wait around for it. Just make it happen so it's so natural. Like, I love it. This last fall, we had at my house, we had a pajama party for our burg. That's our corners. All right, so we had this pajama party. Everyone came over in their pajamas and their, their, their pillows and their stuffed animals, and we watched, like, two Disney movies. We all laid on my living room floor, and it was great. And I have a, I have a van. Like, you have a big old white van, too, right? No, who has a big old white van? The clunkies? No, church. That's the church van. I had a big, big old white van like the church van, and we pile all these people in. We take them back and forth. And so I pile all these students back in, and we're driving back, and then they're like, we're talking about something that was going to happen next Friday. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. We hang out like every Friday, don't we? <laughs> and this is like the end of October. Like, yeah, you've been like in my house in this van like every Friday. I'm like, this is awesome! Oh my gosh! Why well, in two weeks can we do this? And can we do that? And they started coming alive, and they just realized this is amazing. But they had been doing this for two months, <laughs> and they didn't know. But I love that because it was so natural. It wasn't like okay, well, mandatory fun. I've got to show up at Freeman's in pajamas. No, that wasn't what it was like. <laughs> can you do this where it's just you're having fun and just it becomes natural? You guys, we need you. We need you to be a compelling invite, each and every one of you. How are you going to do this? Both those things that, that we have that you can do in community as the invite, do it together as a team. Work and play as a team. Work and play as a team. Learn how you can be part of the Cornerstone team. Do it as a team. Don't even wait. Just go and do it. Your church needs you. They need you to step up right now. They need you to multiply. The mission is huge. It's the world that we're about. And they need you. Their campus, it's everybody. What if you could impact every freshman every year? You can impact the whole campus. Right? If you can impact every freshman every year, you can impact the whole... You guys could do that. You know, I don't know if you caught this, but I like to tell a lot of stories. Right? Yeah, I do. I like to tell a lot of stories. Um, I was thinking about this. And being out here, the best story I have here to finish this retreat is you. I, I see Josh and Danielle, and you guys are heroes. Absolute heroes. Thanks. Thank you. They've caught it. I know these, you see these people, they could be living in king's houses and palaces, right? They could have given themselves to a life of comfort. And they're here with all you punks. <laughs> the meet Heather, Heather doing her support raising. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! I was struck by it, so I was walking from here to the dining hall with Josh, and I was talking about just doing sound and how, he, how he's liking doing sound. And he was saying, yeah, I love this, and it's coming alive. And he was talking about, yeah, there are weekends where I could go home and be with my family, but the church needs me, and I don't go, and I stay here. And it can be tough, but he's here every weekend running sound. 
Rachel's learning lights after years of not doing it. Going back there and seeing, seeing Jamie learn how to do slides because Alana is going to be gone because she's poured herself out here for years. All you corner leaders sitting with you over dinner and just hearing your dreams and your passion and your love for these people just brought me alive to see Kirk working a job and coming home and then being on mission with MC and with the staff team. It's crazy. Michelle and Brooke, you guys, you raise kids, they drive you nuts, your husbands are, I know, I talk to them every week, they're messed up, they're your biggest kids in your house, you got to clean up your house just to stay alive, you clean it up and then both of you open your homes and let these punks into your lives, that, I know how much work that is. All the staff, it's just been so awesome being here. It's been so awesome being here, and I just, I look forward to just years of just being connected with you guys and seeing what's going to happen. Because, Mike, you just, you, you kept the helm. You kept this church going, and you put your, your nose to the plow, and you just kept going. And it was you and Jesus, when other people are leaving, you were there. And then Rudy, you come riding in as the cavalry and doing it, <laughs> right? They come flying in, the Texas Rangers are here! These guys are amazing. And then MC and Kristen, you guys, that's like the new hope. You know, my Star Wars guys, like, you're like the new hope has finally arrived. Right? <laughs> and you guys are working your tail off. It's awesome to see. And then to start talking to people and start hearing about Alec and Heather and Amy and all you guys dreaming about going on staff and being that next generation and the next generation. This is the story. This is the story that they need to see. I'm telling you, the compelling invitation is you. It's you. And if you're new and I don't know your name, it's your time. Your time is now to step up. Your time is now join the team, work with the team, play with the team, do it together. Even if, like, if you don't like meeting people, being a greeter, that's crazy. Do that kind of stuff. Step up. These guys are doing coffee on the quad. That's your quad. Own it. Take it for Jesus. Go hang out with them and meet your peers so that when somebody in your class walks by, you go, hey, and then they say hi, and then you have a conversation. These guys will help you. The staff will help you. They'll teach you how to do anything. You want to let Josh go home on a weekend? Someone step up and learn how to do sound so he can go home to his family stuff. Okay? We need someone to do that. And then dream dreams. Don't wait for the boxes that these guys are going to give you, but blow them out. I don't care what it is. If you want to have a big tailgate, because you got this awesome new stadium now, I love seeing the stadium. (laughs) Do it. Go out there. Dream dreams. Tell people. Tell everyone. What is it that's your passion? When I say join the team, when you come to the team, you bring your passions and your ideas. You might not know what it is you need to bring. Here's just, what is it that you love? Can you bring that in the church? Here's another one. I like that. What pisses you off? Like what just really pisses you off and gets you angry? Because there's probably something in there. Now if it's like the wrong way the toilet paper is on a roll, that's not a really godly thing. But like I have a friend, she can't stand what sex trafficking is doing. And so she is working towards starting a nonprofit in Pittsburgh. And our church is going to get right behind that. But she's the one that's going to be doing it. What is it that you can do? And then as you do it, here's the last thing. 
Remember both that it's, he calls you to labor and then rest. Rest as you labor. When you're dreaming those God-sized dreams, you know what God-sized dream is? It's a dream that you dream could happen, then you look at it and like it can't happen unless God comes through. So dream those type of dreams and then realize that as you work in that, that field, you're going to need rest from the bread of life. From the bread of life. That's it. The final story is one I really can't tell. Because it's what's it going to look like years from now? What churches are you going to be? What, where the heck is this Alec guy going to end up? What church is he going to plant? And some of you are going to be there. What, what cubicles are you guys going to be in turning that workplace upside down? What neighborhoods are you overturning? What families are you going to raise that are going to take this nation and this world by storm? What is the story of Cornerstone? That's going to be the ultimate story, and I can't tell it. But I really look forward to coming back and hearing it a decade from now, a couple decades from now, and just seeing what God does through you. It's a far better community you're a part of. Will you stand? We're one. We have one Lord. Let's pray to him. Lord, this place is awesome. Cornerstone is amazing, and it's because you're amazing. You're just, you're just absolutely amazing. We, we tell you, I mean, I, we can look at ourselves and all our gifts. We can look at our pain and our past. We can look at our doubts and our lies and all the things that hold us back. We can see that we're going to fall even into the work of being too liberal or, or too legalistic. There's so many traps we can fall into, but you're always going to be there. If we keep you as the center, the center of the circle, the bread of life, the focus of our life, if we keep inviting people into our lives and we are this community, nothing, nothing in this world can take us from this. And I pray for every person here. Help them to first make sure they have faith in you. They will go hard after this. They will be drawn to you. That they will see this community. They will just pour into it. No holds barred. They will be there for one another. They will give their all. And then help us, each and every one, to dream God-sized dreams, to get behind the dreams of this church. Lord, we long to see what stories you're going to do. And no matter what part we play, you, you're the main character. Amen.